Welcome to the 12th House Podcast, where we pull the curtain back on the weird, mysterious, unusual, mystical, magical, shadowy, delightful elements of the wellness and well-being space. And we do it with love and irreverence for the most part, I would say, and uh, genuine curiosity. You know, I think that that's at the root of what we do. We're not here to be like assholes. We're here genuinely curious, asking why why? Why this? (laughs) Why you do like this, you know? So welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm Michelle, the head witch in charge at Holisticism. Holisticism is the parent company of the 12th House podcast. And what we do sort of this in this umbrella, in this universe that we've created is make the wellness and well-being world more accessible and more inclusive to more people. And we do that in a variety of ways. First off, by making our tone casual and irreverent so it's not so like gatekeepery and weird. Because that really like throws a lot of people off when I think they enter the wellness space. They're like, why are you talking about aliens again? And 5D consciousness, it's like come back down to earth for a second. Can we talk about, I don't know, biodynamic wine and the bachelor and also business and also talk about the next dimension. I don't know. Like we can be multifunctional, multi-slashy creatures, right? But also in the products and services that we create, you know, we have the Holisticism Hub, which is our free community and where we host events and classes and give access to amazing practitioners, including the person, the lovely person that I'm talking to today and who's on the podcast, Lee, are obviously the podcast, The 12th House. And our North Node community, which is a space for intuitive business owners who are trying to make their work more accessible and more inclusive and also expanded so that they can help more people and do it in a way that's thoughtful and conscious as they grow their businesses. And the cusp, which is for wellness hype beasts, for anyone who wants to know more about the sort of inside baseball conversation on the wellness and well-being game and wants to talk about products and services and honestly get some pretty piping hot reviews of what's going on in the space. The cusp is for you. It is super fucking fun in there. So we do a lot. We do a lot here and I'm happy that you're listening to this episode. Welcome. I am delighted to be talking to Lee Mae Spence. Lee is an indigenous woman who teaches how to meld ancestral wisdom and indigenous knowledge with this current world that we live in. She is so cool, so smart, so funny. We talked for a really long time and just had so much fun. We probably could have kept talking, but I felt really bad because I only put an hour on her calendar and we went over and I just love her. And to be totally honest with you, We've never spoken, we've never featured someone on the podcast or at Holisticism with a strong indigenous identity, meaning that that is a major component of how they show up in the world. We've worked with people who are indigenous, but it hasn't been a main point of conversation. And Lee and I had a conversation before this episode before we decided to record this podcast and host an event together where she was kind of checking in and saying like, is there a reason that you haven't done this? And it was like, I had to just be honest with her and say, it's because we've dropped the ball and we could absolutely do better here. And it's certainly not for lack of wanting. And I'm really, really just delighted to open up this space. And I'm grateful that Lee is 
that was down to connect with us and to go on this journey with us. And I can't wait to see where it leads. I think you're really going to love this episode. And even more exciting, I think you're really going to love the workshop that Lee is teaching called Unearthing Your Story. And it's all about what we're going to talk about together and what you'll hear, which is sort of reclaiming your ancestral history and past, even if you don't know who your ancestors were, and integrating that into who you are now and connecting to your spirit and your pur- ultimately your purpose. And all of our workshops at Holisticism are on sliding scale. So you can buy tickets. It's The event is on April 1st. It's a virtual event. Um, duh. So you can reserve your tickets at holisticism.com backslash workshops. And we have three different tiers. We have our red tier, our yellow tier, and our blue tier. Red tier tickets are $9. Yellow tier tickets are $19. Blue tier tickets are $29. The blue tier tickets, so our the highest offering price, is the true cost of this event. Anyone who joins at a yellow or red rate is getting a scholarship option. And we are able to provide scholarships through sliding scales pricing at our business because we've built it into our business and because we have so many amazing people who look at our sliding scale and who may identify more on the blue on the blue end of the spectrum and that helps us provide scholarships for more people who wouldn't be able to afford the full price ticket that we're offering so I'm really really I love hosting these workshops because they're so accessible. No one is turned away for lack of funds. So if that's an issue for you, just shoot us an email at hello at oholisticism.com. We'll make sure that you get into the event. And we also, when we work with practitioners, we pay them 100% of the ticket sales. So we don't take any money from these sorts of events. We really are sort of just the (laughs) go-between, helping to amplify the messages of practitioners and facilitators that we really admire and get them in front of our community and create a vehicle for them to give more access to more people to what they do. So I hope that you end up coming and that you buy a ticket and that you share it with a friend and that you get to witness Lee in her glory because she is really special and incredible. So you can buy tickets at holisticism.com backslash workshops. And I think without further ado, I'm going to just let the episode roll and let you get to know Lee. Hi, Lee. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really honored to be here. <laughs> So let's like tell everyone everything about what you do. Like walk us all the way back. Like when did you first know that you were on your path? That's a great question. I'm originally from Northern Manitoba in Canada and I'm a Muskego Inanu woman. So that means Swampy Cree woman in Swampy Cree. So it's called Inanu Moyen. That's the language. Mm-hmm. And... You know, growing up in a small community of a thousand people, I had a really great like upbringing. Growing up in a in a northern isolated community that you only can access through plane or train. What? Yeah. So you you could take the train, you could fly, or you, there's Churchill, Manitoba is right on the Hudson Bay, so the ocean. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being surrounded by the the ocean, the river, and being in a transition zone between the boreal forest and the tundra. So it's like lots of trees. And then all of a sudden it's like real sparse. 
and mm. plants and trees to the ground and they're even one-sided from the wind. And so it was really beautiful place to, to grow up because my dad's family actually moved from 250 kilometers south of Churchill. Mm-hmm. And they moved to Churchill because the Hudson's Bay Company closed down York Factory Depot. And it was a part of the trade in Canada, the Hudson Bay Company and then the Northwest Company. What did they do? Did they ju- they were just like a trading company? Yeah, they're 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 a big like monopoly trading company in Canada. So they were initially Whoa. started with the fur trades, and they relied on the indigenous folks to guide them and ultimately to survive in in this area of the world when they came from Europe and Scotland and Ireland yeah. and France. And so, so my grandpa, he was born there and he passed away in Churchill and I, I was able to spend five years of my life with him. Wow. And he was a beautiful, tall man, like a very fair skinned indigenous man. And I always remember him being very gentle. And so I always grew up, I'm very fortunate. I I grew up, I grew up knowing where I came from. Mm -hmm. And I think my dad did a really great job of doing that because he like always talked about your factory and how you know him and his eight siblings like all their ancestors come from there and I have lots of cousins and so we would just run around town and play tag and ride our bikes and ride four-wheelers and go swimming in the Hudson Bay when there's polar bears around So I would often get in trouble because I'd be out frog catching and then I'd get booters and I'd have like three pairs of sweatpants hanging in the, in the shower. And my mom would be like, Lee, what the heck? Like, stop getting booters. You're getting your clothes wet. But this is, this is kind of how, like what shaped me was mm. to be able to have that freedom and care from community. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm not surprised <laughs> at where I landed in life with the the work that I do with integrating Indigenous wisdom and practices within projects, programs, and policy change. And so that's a little bit of the background of where I grew up. And my mom is from around Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is the capital city of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And so it's just above like North Dakota. And so mm-hmm. Her family is originally from Dougald, Manitoba, which is a farm. It was a farming community. And she mm-hmm. just turned 65. And we just found out within the last three years that she's actually Métis. And so she, wow. she grew up her. She didn't, she had no idea. She had no idea. Wow. So she thought she was white, just run of the mill Canadian white person. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And is that a significant portion of her heritage? Yeah. You know what? It's very common. For mm-hmm. for folks in Manitoba throughout Canada, find out that they're Indigenous because there was a lot yeah. of shame around it. Yeah, and so yeah, it's it's been really interesting to see my mom move through that. Yeah, what has that been like for you? Do you feel closer to her? Or has it changed your relationship at all? You know i I don't feel I don't feel like she's changed. Right? I mean, she's mm-hmm. like she's moving through things and. I haven't exactly had the conversation with her to to see how she feels about it or, you know, how she's mm-hmm. moving through there. But I've always known, like, she originally was going to become a social worker. And then my parents had my sister 
when they were 21 and 12 years later they had me and so Mm -hmm. she's always been in that type of role where she's always about like equality and equity and you know Mm. meeting people with where they're at so yeah it's really cool that is so cool and like how interesting for you to also have unlocked another part of yourself you know by nature of like finding understand understanding your parents heritage mm-hmm. yeah it's been interesting and I mean like there's conversations that I have with myself and then also with other close friends where you know like my mom's Métis like it's in her blood but she didn't know and so we don't have those traditions and that knowledge mm-hmm. passed down and so I'm a bit more hesitant to identify as Métis because I don't have those teachings. I didn't grow Mm. up identifying as Métis. And so Mm. it's a little bit more of a a gentle process, I would say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just like continued self-discovery to see what feels good and and checking in. I feel like there are a lot of people who are going through that experience of not holding an identity and then finding out that they have birthright <laughs> to an identity and then being like, okay, how do I claim this in a way that's like authentic and reverent to, to people that do hold this identity, like very dear to themselves. And what claim do I have to it? You know, like what right do I have? Although technically I, it's my birthright. It's like, kind of like you're an insider, but an outsider at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a really great segue into why kind of why I created the modern ancestors workbook was Mm -hmm. because I was on, I knew that I was indigenous or I know that I am indigenous or when I was growing up, but I didn't know the language and I, and I didn't know about indigenous spirituality with the creator and understanding and, and taking care of mother earth and all the elements and the spiritual aspects of life. I didn't know about that until I until I came down to Winnipeg for university. Wow. So it wasn't something that your family talked about or that was sort of like part of what you what you grew up kind of talking around at the dinner table? No, it wasn't. So did you feel like a fraud or not a, not a fraud? That's like such a strong word. But did you feel like uncomfortable or like claiming some of that? Or did it feel like coming home? Well, there was mixed emotions when I was in, I was taking an Aboriginal history of Canada course mm-hmm. and I was nine, I think I was 18 or 19 and I was going in there to be a phys ed teacher and my minor was going to be history. Cause I always found history to be very fascinating. And when I found out about residential schools and the 60s scoop and how, you know, colonization did a really good job at severing indigenous people from their spirit and mm. having indigenous people not be able to participate in ceremony mm-hmm. and you could get in trouble for mm-hmm. doing something that is your spiritual birthright. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of anger, anger when I realized that. And, you know, it was, it was just so backwards. Like we had a white professor teaching an Aboriginal history of Canada course. Wow. And I'm like, this just feels so weird, but I, you know, I didn't have the context or the understanding on why it didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And so since then, you know, over the last 12 years, I've done a lot of like that inner work and, you know, relying on 
people that I trust to have these deeper conversations about because I'm not the only one going through mm-hmm. this and it's it's reassuring but it's also it really pisses me off because colonization did a really great job at making sure that family connection and values were really severed through residential school and the 60s scoop because you know learning how to receive and give affection was often punished by wow. the Catholic Church in these different schools. Yeah, white supremacy is is like it it works. <laughs> like mm-hmm. all the systems of oppression that have been set up, like they fucking work. They do their job too well, unfortunately. And we, we like have to live with the repercussions of that and sort of pick up the pieces and and unfortunately like try to find the thread that has been severed and that we don't always know where where the other end of it is or or like where we come from. And yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like to be, I can only imagine, I should say, to be sitting in a class having a white person telling you about your history. Mm-hmm. And like, do, did you feel like, did you get the sense that you kind of already knew these things? Like that there was some part of your intuition or your spirit that was like, did you have like a moment of recognition or understanding of like remembering who you were or that knowledge that was inside of you? You know, when I was in that specific university course and in those classes, you know, like a light bulb went off. Mm. And in one of my summer jobs, I was able to go to a sweat lodge. And it was my first time ever going to a sweat lodge, participating in any type of ceremony in that way. And I cried the whole time. And it was a four-door sweat. And so they're usually like two to three, four hours long. Mm-hmm. like depending on what's happening. And I like smelled like cedar after because in a sweat, there's medicines that are burned over the grandfathers, the rocks, and they're nice and hot. And and you're just sweating out whatever you're ready to let go of, right? You're just giving it back mm-hmm. to Mother Earth because that's what we do. We let, we let go of things that we don't want to carry anymore. And so when I was in the sweat lodge, that's when I had the, like, that's when I felt blood memory, but I didn't know that mm-hmm. that was a term. Mm-hmm. And so it was just such an odd, an odd time, you know, especially as a young, young woman, like starting her career and, and there's like these mm-hmm. big curveballs, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is this world? What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as I've gotten older over the last, you know, 12 years, it makes sense why things are the way they are and why Mm. there's different power dynamics and, Mm. you know, suicide and addictions. And I mean, when I've talked to my dad about these things on my dad's side, his ancestral lineage from my grandma and grandpa, the Anglican church was very present at York factory since the 1830s. Wow. And so there's, really no discussion about how my family practices spirituality outside of Christianity. So is your, your family's Anglican or or Anglican, I should say, or practicing like, you know, traditional Christianity. Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And so it makes sense why I didn't hear about totally indigenous spirituality. 
I'm just thinking about like how complex it must have been to be a 20 something where it's just like already so fucking confusing. <laughs> like it's yeah. already so hard. Like you're like, oh my God. And like, you know, falling in love with people and doing drugs and having sex and like learning things. And it's the first time away from my family maybe. And like that which in our 20s are all about self-actualization, right? Like understanding who we are Mm -hmm. and then compounding that with finally seeing who you get, who you are, like perhaps, or seeing a facet of yourself that was always there, but a light was never like sort of shined upon it so it could reflect back. And like all of that just coming to the surface and, and not being able to sort through what is what, right? Like who am I really? And I love that you've clearly found who you are now at this point but like what was that like for you how did you try on any identities or beliefs that like you're when you look back now you're like nope hard pass that was not who I was (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I love yeah I love I love that we're on this conversation because I mean another thing with growing up in a small community is that alcohol and drinking as a young teenager is very common And so, you know, I started drinking at a very young age, partying, you know, I still did really well in school. I've always done really well academically and I've always been an athlete. And so I've always kind of, I've been fortunate to have those avenues of, Mm -hmm. you know, outlets, I guess you could say. And so when I moved to the city, team handball became my, my avenue for like community and sport and, you know, team handball there's it's you could only play with a team of women because it's a contact sport and so I had these group of friends and you know partying and yeah it was all about like partying school work travel and dating and you know obviously university the fun stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then like school yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah So a lot of people I talk to and in my experience, in personal experience, like the spiritual aspect of life has sort of like flickered on and off throughout your life, perhaps, and like kind of shown up in interesting ways, but never really come fully to the surface until there's some sort of like breaking point or moment. For me, it was when I had, I had to have a couple moments. I was not down to listen, you know, it was when I started having seizures and then I went through like this horrible breakup and, and then I really started like leaning into what I knew and my intuition. I'm really curious, what was it for you? Cause it seems like you've always been a pretty like tapped in person, especially to nature. So was there a moment that kind of like pushed you over to the edge, uh, over the edge, I should say? Yeah. You know what? I've, I've always known that I was a sensitive kid because I would always feel like if there was, you know, disagreements or like tension, I would mm-hmm. feel it. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? But I didn't have the like the communication to be able to understand how to articulate that and like communicate that. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> as I've grown older, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and so there was a couple times actually where you know, I've always felt really connected to the land, like you said. And it wasn't until I started dating, like I had Hmm. more serious relationships in my early twenties that I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, why am I like this? You know, like, why, like, why am I partying all the time? Like, what am I Hmm. like, what, what is that serving? 
Yeah. And it's like, where does that, where does that even come from? Like, where does that habit come from? Mm-hmm. And so I started to get curious about like my habits. And it wasn't until my last year of university where I started counseling. Wow. Yeah. So I was 20, I was 22, 23. And I would, yeah, when I was out partying, I would get angry. Like I would get angry for just like no reason, no, mm-hmm. no reason. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously there's something going on, but I didn't know I wasn't tapped in at that time. Yeah. And so that's kind of when the journey began to really look at myself and taking responsibility for the habits and, you know, for everything that I do and like my beliefs, like, where do those beliefs come from? Like, why do I think that yeah. all those things? Wow. You're so astute at 22 to be like, I think I'm going to go to counseling and like sort this out. God, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drink more. (laughs) (laughs) That was also a good solution for me sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, I think I'm probably going to go date some people that are really going to hurt my feelings. That's what I'm going to do instead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. And you know, my therapist says what's what's hysterical is historical. So when we have these, these reactions that don't, that aren't us that are like, Whoa, why am I getting so angry out of the blue? Like, that's not, that's not rational. There's always information in it. And it's like not worth judging ourselves, but just like looking and examining the behavior of like, Ooh, where did that come from? Like, there's something really deep and old there. And it's like worth unearthing potentially mm-hmm. to move through it. Do you think that that anger came from what you were kind of learning about, about your, your own history? Yeah. You know, I think it was, I think it's a lot. Like when I look back and, you know, before we started talking today, we were talking about like the, the womb wisdom piece around like Mary Lucian and how she guided us through like sinking deeper into our womb, our mm-hmm. wombs in a, in a group setting virtually And I think a lot of that, like anger and oppression and trauma is with, it's like intergenerational trauma. Totally. And And epigenetic trauma. mm -hmm. Like it's literally passed down like cellularly and also spiritually, I think. Mm -hmm. And just trying to understand kind of which, which emotions like what's mine and what's other people's or like what's my ancestors. So it's Mm -hmm. like, just be getting like getting curious around that and being mm-hmm. able to sit, sit and, and be friends with yourself is, was really scary at one point in my life. Do you think you're friends with yourself now? Oh yeah. We're besties. <laughs> <laughs> we're homies. Yeah. We're tight. <laughs> yeah. We're... Sometimes, sometimes when I sit with myself, I'm like, she's a real bitch sometimes, <laughs> but she is fun, but she can be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, holy shit, like, go back to bed. That's what I say sometimes. I'm like, geez, you're so rude sometimes. Yeah, when when I'm, like, working really late, sometimes my partner will be like, wow, your boss is really – is really asking a lot of you. Like your boss is not that nice. And of course I am my own boss. And I'm like, you're right. She is not. She kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's it. Like, and I think that like, I've had those conversations with myself and I'm like, why the hell am I working like 12 hour days? And I'm pooped (laughs) drinking like two lattes. Like, where is this coming from? I'm like, Oh, right. The patriarchy and grind culture. And I'm like, 
like go smudge and chill out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know if you, you felt this at all. You seem like a, you're someone who's just been so intuitive from the jump, but there was definitely a point in my life where I was like so detached from my intuition that I almost, and so kind of like brainwashed by patriarchy and hustle culture and just like, you know, misogyny that exists in the world and systemic oppression and living within these systems that I couldn't trust my like natural tendencies, you know, like my gut reactions were actually really harmful to me because they were coming from a place of like, you know, trauma response. And so instead of taking care of myself, I was just trying to be good or like get more work done or be more productive or whatever. And so for a while, when I was getting back in touch with my intuition, I had to just do the opposite of what I wanted to do. <laughs> like if my gut told me or my first instinct was to like stay and work even harder at the office. I was like, cool, I'm going to go home now. I'm out. And it that actually was such an interesting and like horribly challenging time. But I learned so much in like doing the opposite of what I'd been sort of trained to do. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that being really challenging. Yeah. And I'm curious for you when you started down this path talking about and and blending together ancestral wisdom and like bringing indigenous wisdom into a culture. I don't want to say patriarchy, but like into systems that run on patriarchy and exist within like systems of oppression. Do you feel like you're kind of teaching people to do the opposite or the antithesis of what they're used to do? Like, how do you kind of walk them through that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, it's been a gradual like learning because when I first started working full-time after university, so almost eight years ago, I was watching. Like I observed a lot of strong Indigenous women having these difficult conversations, you know, with with stakeholders around the table. And I, that's where a lot of the, the teachings come from is watching through role modeling. Mm. And so you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have really great, strong, supportive parents that really don't put up with any bullshit. <laughs> and so that really helps too. And my sister's the same way. And so, and my, my mom has always like taught me to do that. And so mm-hmm. she, like, she understood that there is equality and in, in equity, mm-hmm. especially for women, like, and you know, like, even when you're going to get your tires changed or your oil changed, like they're always trying to get more like for sales. And she's Mm -hmm. like, she's like, don't even, don't even give them any of your time. I'm like, I know mom, I know my money. They, they're not getting it. Not today. Not today. Oh man. I feel like I'm a strong independent woman, but I still call my dad or my partner when I have to get my tires changed. I'm like, they want me to pay this. Is that fine? Or is that too much? <laughs> I do the same. My dad's like, nope, don't let them, add, don't let them add anything else to your bill. I'm like, right. I'm like, I think they're saying I need to get the whole car replaced. Do you think that's right? Or 
they're trying to talk me into buying a new vehicle. Should I do exactly. it? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I don't know. He's really convincing. He seems really nice. Yeah. He seems really charming. I think he's, I think he wants my money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then I feel like we go in the opposite direction where we're just like stony faced and we're like, no, yeah. I won't even be nice to you. Like I'm not taking any, I'm like coming in defensive. Like just fix my tires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, to get back to what you asked, I, I've been fortunate to have the role models. Yeah. And so, and it's been Indigenous and like white women that have been really great mentors that are a lot older than me and have a lot of experience mm-hmm. in this, this area of work. And it can be really tricky having these conversations. And one of the teachings that I was, I was given lately was to be able to have to be able to have the conversation and the teaching led from your experience and share mm-hmm. a teaching or experience that you've had that would help the other person understand, potentially understand mm-hmm. or, or bring more awareness so they could potentially understand where you're coming from, even though you, you could be completely different people, but you're mm-hmm. going towards the same goal. Yeah, I love that. That's something that we talk about a lot in business. And mm-hmm. through and educating, right? It's like people learn in stories. Mm-hmm. That's all that we want to do. That's why podcasts are so popular. We want to hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. And so it helps to like land the sort of theoretical or even the esoteric when we can like sort of ground it in some sort of personal experience or story that we share. And that's one of the best ways to teach others is to like show them your own experiences. Yeah, I think that and then also coming from a place of love because Mm. everything has spirit Mm. and, you know, we as human beings have spirit, our emotions have spirit. And so when you come from a place of love, ultimately things are like the intention, like the intention of where you're coming from is just so powerful. It's just like, you know, when you give thanks or your gratitude, it's like coming from a place of love is just so much more powerful than coming from a place of anger even though anger as an emotion is powerful and all emotions are important. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, just reminding to come from a place of love and respect. It's so hard though. I know. (laughs) It's very hard. It can be so hard. Mm -hmm. It also like, have you ever been in a situation? I do this a lot when I'm in a fight with my, in like just my partner is like kind of perfect. It's a little bit annoying sometimes. He's like so great and so well adjusted and like so you know, he's so great and logical and loving. And sometimes like when we're in an argument, he just like loves me and it like makes me even more mad. And like, no, just let me be mad. Damn it. Yes. My partner's the like same that. way. it diffuses it but I there's something in me that like wants to hold on and just be like in that anger zone because it's almost like more safe and comfortable there because I can be closed down and like continue to exist in my bubble Mm -hmm. love is really so powerful and and we really like you know we knock it down a peg by saying that it's something that's just you know valentine's day and rainbows and sunshine and butterflies but it really is like the most powerful tool that we have it really is. I agree, though. I, I feel like like anger is it's, you know, like each of your emotions are telling you something, right? Like a boundary mm-hmm. was overstepped or, you know, like there's sadness there, or whatever is coming up. It wants to be like honored. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's been a journey to be able to get to this place. I was actually talking to one of my new friends, my, my new internet friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, isn't making friends on the internet the best thing ever? It's so fun. Who, it's like really hard for me to make friends in real life. I like know. I love the internet. Me it's too. It's the best. <laughs> it's so much more easier. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was telling her, because we're we're in this human design course together. And cool. and she was saying, she's like, Do you have a defined throat? I'm like, Yes. She's like, I knew it. She's like <laughs> Because when you talk, it's like very clear. And I'm like, it never used to be that way. Like I used to feel, I feel like in the past when I, my younger self, it would, I would be more aggressive and more like, like dominant and trying to, you know, like take up space and, and doing these things. And then I just realized over time that that's not the way, like it was hard to do that all the time. Like it was tiring. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, your voice is very gentle. I'm like, it's gentle now. <laughs> but in the past, I would be like really fiery and like really reactive and and really going. And I think now that I've done, you know, that inner shadow work, I understand kind of where that anger came from. Mm-hmm. I know where it came from. And so it's, it's nice that it's, I'm a bit more patient and <laughs> gentle. Well, yeah, and it's like less... You still, I would guess you still have that anger. I mm-hmm. like, I'm definitely like, I have anger inside me, sacred anger and rage. Mm-hmm. And like, I used to not like that. I didn't want to be like an angry person, but now I just kind of like think it's dope. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's really cool that I can like get so angry about things that are unfair and mm-hmm. like that I do something about it. And then it like really lights me up. Like, I like that now. But mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of have to like know how to tame it or at least like know kind of where the root of the fire is coming from. If it's just like, you know, smoke in the air or like, you know, a, a fireball like coming down on you, that's yeah. different. Yeah. But, <laughs> but when you, it's like, you know, contained, you can, you can like let it rise up and let it get really hot and then know how to like sort of dim it down when you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, I'm definitely, I definitely have the fire. Like I have the fire still. <laughs> Like I'm able to, yeah, like you said, understand when the time is to use it, mm. when you need to be heard and understood. And usually when a boundary is crossed or when something is not fair, and it's usually in the line of work that I do where when we're working in systems and you're just like banging your head on the, against the wall when it's, mm-hmm. we know that this way of working works and the way that it's is now we know that it hasn't worked for how many mm-hmm. fucking years and it's like <laughs> right. no right. like we know this doesn't work like why the fuck are we still doing this yeah and it's it's being able to you know have a space where you can communicate your honest feelings because when you don't speak with and from your heart then you're not going to get your point across because it's not even honest. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how like that anger 
and rage, like you didn't use the word rage, you used the word anger. So I don't want to misquote you, but that anger was like, it was ancestral. It was, it did come from you. And you're teaching a class with us in the next couple of weeks on unearthing your story. And like, if we ignore our anger, if we ignore our sadness, if we ignore these parts of us that like, are not always a hundred percent from us that are from, that are like deeply rooted in us from something else. And we're ignoring our ancestry and where we came from and why we are the way that we are. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's such a, to me, that's like such a tragedy. Mm -hmm. That's like white supremacy on ourselves. That's we're colonizing ourselves in a way. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, there's this really cool paradigm shift happening and it's just so interesting for me to watch you know Mm -hmm. I just love to observe people taking back their power and speaking their truth and I'm just like over here I'm like yes give it to me (laughs) give me the deep shit like I love it where have you seen that lately how's that been coming up more so with you know the Black Lives Matter movement we had a gathering here and it was so powerful my partner and I went and you know it was during COVID but we're like fuck that we're gonna go there and be a body to let them know like the black people here in Winnipeg know that we're not like that isn't okay you know it hasn't been okay for a long time and so you know being there makes a big difference even though you're one person it still makes a big difference and I think you know, on social media, a lot of my close friends, one of my good friend, she's originally from, I can't remember which country, but she's an Arab woman. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, and other Indigenous women, I have a lot of like close white friends that are just killing it. And I'm like, I love this. Like, pe- like people of all backgrounds and all walks of life have such beautiful ancestral lineages and and you could see people deep diving into that and they're really getting curious around you know their ancestors and what languages that they spoke and their practices and and really getting in touch with the plants that their ancestors worked with because at one point in time everyone around the world was very connected to the earth in Mm -hmm. all areas of the land it's finding that balance of you know, that cultural appreciation, because there's been a lot of cultural appropriation. And in my opinion, I feel like it comes from, you know, people wanting that and they see it and they're like, Mm -hmm. I want to feel that. Mm -hmm. I want to feel that too. And like, I want to belong and I want to have like a practice and a ritual that I feel connected to. And it's just, you know, trial and error, like we're gathering experiences to figure out what feels good for us. Mm-hmm. to be able to find what is our truth. Mm-hmm. I think you're right that people really resonate with and almost like are jealous, right? Like, like they crave when they see connection, that's like true and authentic. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of not taught in society how to cultivate that in ourselves. We're taught how to copy it, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, and often materially. So, mm-hmm. well, if I use all these, if I use white sage, or if I, you know, sit in circle, or if I, whatever it is, like if we look at just like from a materialist perspective, of I'll be happy when I have that house and I have that car, because that's what happiness means. We think that we can like, 
I guess, ascend or level up even spiritually just by like acquiring or accumulating more things or more certifications or even like more experiences. And I think people are really starting to understand now that that's not the way, (laughs) like that was never the way, but that really isn't the way. And as a result, they're looking at like, it's forcing people to look at themselves and their own ancestry and We talk about this inside the North Node, which is our members community at Holisticism. We've done a whole month on diving into your own spiritual ancestry. And I was so surprised to learn that so many people had never thought about it, like had never thought about looking at where their grandparents came from and like what traditional practices might be there. And I remember someone was like, we don't have any traditional practices. We're in Norway. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're like, what? (laughs) You're a Viking, dude. Like, look. (laughs) (laughs) So much history. Right. But like, it's so, we are so disconnected from that. We like think of our ancestors as like our grandparents and like, okay, yeah, maybe that's not like, you don't have the biggest spiritual connection, but what about your ancestors that you don't even know about that go so far back that like, you don't even know their names. You don't know where they walk. They're not going to come up on their, your 23andMe or your ancestry.com sheet, you know, like you got to try and connect to them anyways. Yeah. Like, and actually like you should probably try and connect to them first. Like that's an, that's even cooler, but I know that that's a huge part of what you do with unearthing your story. So how have you kind of been navigating that with people who are like, I don't know anything about my ancestry or my ancestry doesn't have anything spiritual to offer. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I generally share about it from my lived experience. And for me, like I, I, like I said earlier, when we were first started chatting that I didn't feel like a spiritual connection, or I guess I, I had a spiritual connection, but it didn't make sense to me about this indigenous spirituality piece. And I think like generally when people are confused or they don't know where to start or they don't, you know, maybe they've been like relocated or they don't have connection to their family, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's like adoptions and residential school and, you know, people move around and I ask them like, where do you feel you need to start? Mm -hmm. Like what feels good for you? You know, like, cause everyone's journey is different. It's, it's really turning it back to the person for them to understand where they need to start because they know they just Mm -hmm. want that validation, external validation. And I get it. Like I, I remember like reaching out to all my friends and I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling this way. Like, what does that mean? And they would never ask me. And I'm like, what the hell? Like they're just so connected to themselves. And I'm just like asking for reassurance, like what the hell's going on? And then I was like, Oh, like they're just tapped in. I get it. And then once I started to like build on my intuition, I'm like, okay, I, I know where you guys were at the time. (laughs) You're just asking yourself the question and the answer. So yeah, it's just, it's really about guiding the person back to looking within themselves because they have everything that they need to get the answers. They just need some guidance. And that's why Mm -hmm. it's important to feel connected and have that sense of belonging because Mm -hmm. we're not meant to do life as one individual. We're like a blended, connected, large community. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like a big part of it too is just like 
you ask yourself and you also like ask your ancestors. Mm-hmm. Like they will tell you. I, mm-hmm. I'm half Italian and my mom is sort of like everything that burns in Europe. So like Irish and Scottish and French and German. And I really leaned into my Italian heritage and I study Italian witchcraft. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was a couple months ago, I was thinking, you know, I really ignored my mom's side of her heritage. Like I haven't really studied too much of that lineage and there's so much there. I probably should. I was feeling like a bit bad about it. I just really hadn't been called to it. And I was outside in my garden and I got the like biggest whiff of like artificial grandma perfume, like Mm. my Nona's perfume that she used to wear when I, you know, when I was a little kid, my Italian grandmother. And it was so pungent and it did not go away for like 10 minutes. And I was like standing in the backyard, you know, like standing in the clear backyard where it was only nature. And I couldn't get this like cloying perfume out of my nose. And I was like, okay, the answer is very clear of what I'm supposed to be studying right now. Like, I get it. <laughs> Noni, back off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Message received. Yeah. <laughs> but we we really can like ask and we'll if we want to get answers, we'll get I think that we get answers often. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they're in your body. <laughs> you know, like it's a part of your body <laughs> and it's living. And even like ancestral like whatever like whatever you believe but I I believe that like ancestors turn into spirits and that they're always present whenever you need them and Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of building a relationship with them because they ultimately want to support you Mm -hmm. you just have to be open to asking and trusting that that you might sound kind of fucked up sometimes and that's okay (laughs) (laughs) you know like when you don't you're not around people that don't talk to their spirits and their guides and like their animal guides people are like what the fuck do you do and I'm like this is my life <laughs> <laughs> like you don't talk to your dog and also to all the plants yeah. you, you don't have mean you don't have names for your plants like what's wrong with you <laughs> full on yeah full on and I feel like even for some people out there who might be listening they might they might be like, no, I don't have names for my plants, but you've probably given your plant an identity mm-hmm. and you've probably given it like a personality, whether you realize it or not. It doesn't have to be that like you're, you name it like, you know, Bernard, like you might be like, oh yeah, that plant is like really, it always makes me happy and it feels warm and it like responds well to light and to water. And like, as soon as I feed it, it brightens up and like, that's a really responsive plant that you're in relationship with. Like don't ignore how actually connected you are. I think we like to like pretend or act like we're not good enough. Mm -hmm. Like we're not connected enough. We're not dialed enough when it's like right at our fingertips. It's almost like we're not giving ourselves enough credit. Mm -hmm. It's so cool because it changes from person to person on how you connect with, you know, animate and inanimate beings it's totally personal and whatever feels good for you is awesome. And, and I think it changes throughout your life too. Mm -hmm. Like what your what feels aligned in one moment might feel out of alignment, you know, in the next couple of months. And that's okay. It's not like bad or wrong. It's just an evolution of a relationship and all relationships evolve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, and that kind of goes back to like following the cycles, like following the Mm -hmm. cycles of, you know, life, the seasons, like your own 
menstrual cycle, all of those things, it's a cycle and this linear thinking was conditioned or like brought on to condition us to, <laughs> to keep producing. And so that's not the case. Yeah. It reminds me of how, when we do look at everything as a cycle, we can fear death a little bit less mm-hmm. because it's just part of it. It's just part of, it's not the end. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that helps us also in relationship with each other. When we know that like relationships change form and shape, like we might break up, we might separate, we might divorce, but we're never truly like out of relationship with someone. Once we've like committed to being in relationship with them, we're just like, yeah, we're in relationship. We don't fucking talk and we haven't talked in 25 years, but you're still in relationship to that person. It's just not a close relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like a different framing of like how to be. And I don't know, it, it kind of helps me release the fear around like loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you've already exchanged energy. Mm-hmm. So there's all of that lingering mm-hmm. and like the impression of energy. And so and I mean, like birth and death are, are part of a part of life and the cycle. And so there's, you know, when there's death or loss, there's an opportunity for like a rebirth. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like you said, like, I feel like our experiences as humans are to evolve and, you know, ebb and flow and be fluid and dynamic and to be able to adapt. That's where I feel like I've been when I've been really rigid in my past and that's when it, it could be really tricky because like, I'm not rigid, you know, as as a (laughs) human, like as a human being, like I'm not rigid and I feel like human beings aren't rigid. And, you know, like there's this like mentality that you have to be like, you got to do this and you got to do that. And, and it's like, where does that even come from? Yeah. We're soft and squishy, even like, like how patriarchy shows up in our bodies. Like for women, we're not supposed to be soft and squishy only in certain parts, but like we're supposed to be like these hard edges, right? Like thin and angular. And like, that's what, you know, the beauty standard is and rigid, you know, tight as opposed to like, yeah, smushy and mutable and changing. And that's living. That's like what life is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like even throughout COVID, like throughout the pandemic, it's like your body changes so much. Like oh even gosh, just yeah. within the last year, never mind like throughout like my life, it's interesting how like the body changes and like your face changes and and how when you're able to like tap in, like for me, I feel like over this past year, like I've been doing a lot of shadow work and I'm like holy man it's like when I look at myself in the mirror I'm just so much more compassionate with myself Mm. because you're able to honor all areas and facets of and phases of yourself Mm. and it's just so cool to look and reflect and be like yeah I wasn't the same person as I was like two weeks ago (laughs) you know where it's like then you're like a bit more Mm. forgiving and a bit more like yeah, like what's the big deal? It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about the fact that we've kind of been in this like weird controlled bubble. It's almost like a control in an experiment where like everything kind of stays the same because we're in our houses and we have our same clothes and we're seeing the same people, the same three people that like as we 
like the ebb and flow, what's changing is us. It's not like the things that we're doing or where we're traveling or who we're seeing. It's like, oh, I'm the only constant. Well, the constant is around me. I'm the thing that's changing, that's variable, that's mutable. Mm -hmm. And like, it's okay. It's okay that I'm like different from week to week. It's okay that this week, like depression really hit. And that last week I was super productive and last week isn't better than this week. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And like next week won't be better than both of them. It will just, I just know it will be different in some small or or large way as absolutely like gut-wrenching and horrifying this as this past year has been. I think it's offered a lot of people the opportunity to do shadow work and to really look at themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I've noticed like with myself, but also others that I'm in relationship with is that they've been able to do the shadow work and you know, really look at what matters in their life. You know, when we, we don't have the ability to travel or, you know, gather with the usual people that we gather with, Mm -hmm. it's like you find ways to adapt and find joy in the little things. And I feel like it's a reframe in mind too, because it's really made people look at what, what they value. Yeah. And also we've kind of alluded to it in this conversation, but what we use to mask what's underneath, what's there for us, like what's coming up for us, sort of our crutches or Mm -hmm. the things that like, yeah, that keep us swimming, that like help keep our head above water when sometimes what we need to do is dive underneath and like go deeper. Yeah. I think it's also really cool too, because you like, even what you find comforting changes, over time, like even throughout this year of being in a pandemic, you find what comforts you and it changes. Like I remember at a point in time when I was like, every night I was having a bath and I'm like, Mm. Oh, I want to sit in a bath. Like I'll have a shower and I'll use a salt (laughs) scrub. And I'm like, yes, this is the ticket. (laughs) And it's just so interesting that, you know, that we aren't alone in moving through all of this, even though we're physically separated it's Mm -hmm. it's nice to know that we're as a collective we're all transitioning and evolving yeah everyone is going through this experience together of course in varying degrees and shades of comfort Mm -hmm. but yeah we're all going through it with this is a collective experience no one's allowed to like skip you know pass go and totally skip it like we all have to go through it mm-hmm. yeah man now I'm thinking about what was really comforting to me at the beginning of the pandemic and and how not absolutely not comforting that is at all to me it was we were like sitting on the couch watching Netflix and I think now if I had to do that I would just like give me more anxiety I'm like mm. <laughs> yeah I agree I remember at the beginning of the pandemic I was I was still drinking quite a bit like I would have mm-hmm. a couple drinks with my partner and, and it was fine, but I knew that I had to go deeper yeah. and I knew that I had to go deeper, but I was just like, that's another day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we also kind of were like, this thing will end at any time. It kind of felt like a little bit like a snow day. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, when do we ever just to like get to not work or like get time off? Like, kind of sucks and I I don't want to die of COVID. So that's scary. But like also, wow, what an unusual experience we get to have. And then as it it 
continued on through July and August. It was like, okay, yeah, this is this is good. I, I probably should put down the wine. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. Oh, I got to do it. Shit. Okay, fine. <laughs> Have you been sober sober? No, I, you know, I've, like I said before, like I used to party quite a bit and drink quite a bit over this last year, I've really stepped away from it. I just realized over time that I like, even after one or three drinks in the night or like at nighttime and I'll wake up and I'll feel really anxious and low. Mm. And so I was, I was, it was kind of like an experiment with myself to see when I felt my best. And Mm. it's usually when I'm like sober, sober, because I like edibles I like edibles and, and smoking weed. And so it ranges, like sometimes I'll just get bored. Like I'll be like, yeah. I just want to yeah. like just totally. smoke a joint. <laughs> right. I want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of this shadow work and being serious all the time. <laughs> and baths. Ugh, I just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I find that like, I find that my, like my brain is just so much more clear. Mm. Like lately I've been having lemon balm tea before bed. Nice. Yeah. And so I'll have like two cups of that and then I'll have some magnesium powder and mix it with water and I'll drink that before bed. And I've been having like really great sleeps. Mm. That's I, I grow lemon balm in my backyard. So I'll have to send you some, Ooh. but yeah, I wasn't really a big drinker after college and I guess I kind of wasn't even really like a big, big drinker before then, but I definitely went out. And during the pandemic, I would like, you know, maybe order a bottle of wine, biodynamic wine, you know, to get delivered to the house like once a month. And I would have like a tiny little glass while I was cooking dinner. It's very Italian. And in January, I did an elimination diet because I was so tired and mm-hmm. my I have anxiety and depression and my depression was just like really kicking. And I was like, Ugh, I know that this is definitely like when I change my intake, my food intake and when I change my exercise, that that really helps my mood. So I was like, ugh, shit. I guess I have to do an elimination diet and stop eating cheese and stop drinking wine, which sucks. And I felt amazing. I felt amazing. So I was like, God damn it, I need to keep doing this. This is so annoying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I haven't had anything to drink since December. And I'm like, I wonder how much long how long I can go for. Not I'm not like craving alcohol or anything like that, but I do really notice that I feel so much better. And unfortunately, I feel so much better without coffee too, which really, really devastates me. Is it the, like, what about coffee devastates you? Dude, I don't know, but I Mm. feel hung over after I drink it. Like, I also lose my period when I drink coffee. Mm. So I think it must have something to do with like adrenals and just hormones being probably cortisol levels just being like off the charts every time I, I drink caffeine. Wow. I know. It's so Getting beautiful. How- sucks. I know. It's, it's <laughs> You're just- like, it's so beautiful. I'm like, I fucking hate it yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so beautiful how in tune you are to be able to find clarity within your body. You know, it's like I, even though it sucks, because it's like, obviously there's like change of like habits and like comfort. It really sucks. It's hard. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I totally hear you. 
you know, our bodies have so much wisdom, like so much divine wisdom inside of them. And we're so good at ignoring them. We've had to be like, I think women, especially like, I, I don't know. I think about all the time how we're on our periods and like totally just going through it and emotional and having cramps and like just living, just like going to meetings and stuff. I'm like, wow, how do we do that? Like that's, mm-hmm. so, that's so wild that we just like don't stop and that it's expected. I'm like bleeding and I'm in this finance meeting. Like how that's so crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Like I feel like for, yeah, like specific, specifically for, for women and those that have their have periods, it's like, it's like we have a rebirth and death every month. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just so cool how our bodies just automatically do that. And they let us know, they give us cues throughout our cycle to let us know when we need to pump it, like pump the brakes, mm-hmm. but also like give her and be mm-hmm. extroverted and then also go inwards and really listen and so I, I, I just find it so fascinating. And if people have the privilege to be able to slow down around that time of their, their moon cycle, the winter season, it's just so potent. It's like, that's when you're, you're really in your winter phase for introspection. And there's mm-hmm. just so much wisdom, like, holy smokes. Yeah, it, I think about this so, so often because my period is very fickle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like this is like TMI, but in case anyone else out there is, is, can resonate with it, like the minute that I get stressed, like I had a really stressful weekend. So my period's can, my period's late. It's like one of the most reliable things for me being able to tell what my emotional bandwidth is. Like, oh, wow, my period's a week late this month. I had a really hard month and like, wow, I did not give my, I did, I wouldn't have even pegged that for myself until my body asked me to be like, Hey, could you lay down? <laughs> like we would we would <laughs> just love for you to just chill out for like five minutes, you know, yeah. <laughs> so we could bleed. <laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> Every time I'm like, no, how about I go run five miles instead? And my body's like, don't do that. Opposite, dude. Opposite. Yeah. <laughs> go lay in the bath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, I just love it. Like I find it so fascinating and it's, yeah, like you said, sometimes you do the opposite because you're trying to, you know, keep up with whatever is on the go. Yeah, it's like, well, maybe if I just push harder, this thing will will fit into my, my round peg will fit into my square hole if I just like really hammer at yeah. it. It's like that is not the right way to think about that. No. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a wake up call, hey? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like I've heard of many women that have some that don't get their cycle, you know, some get really long cycles, others only happen for a couple of days, and some that get like really painful periods. And I'm like, holy man, it's just, yeah, it's really gives you like insight on what's like, what's up in your body and what's up in your world. Mm -hmm. It does. We are so lucky to be in these physical forms as sometimes as limiting as they feel like they give us such a complex dynamic dimensional experience of what it is to like, 
to be, you know, we get mm-hmm. to like be in these weird little meat suits and like do things, <laughs> you know, yeah. So not to get like super out there, but like, do you ever think about that? How weird is this? I <laughs> <You> know. know? <laughs> yeah. And then you look at your like ancestors and you're like, holy smokes. Like I look like them. Like that's cool. Uh, and then yeah. you like, you yeah. like get to adapt and like how your body fluctuates and changes. And it's just so cool being human. It really is. Sometimes it's hard, but it's mostly cool. Yeah. In this moment, it's really cool. Earlier today, I was like, I need a good cry. I'm like, oh my God, same. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I need like a good cry. I was just feeling like, yeah, like you were saying, like everyone was quite tired. Yeah. It feels like people are kind of at their their end of their wick where they're just like just sizzling away at the wick and it's like man we just gotta find time to do what feels good for us to just be yeah I think that as the pandemic begins to end that we actually like what I pray for is that we have like an open day So that we can kind of like mark this on our calendars as like a hard ending, you know, or just like we can almost like ritualize it as Mm -hmm. opposed to like one thing bleeding into the next, Mm -hmm. which is kind of my fear and not really getting to like mourn or grieve the experience because that will and also celebrate the experience. Mm -hmm. I guess, of course, we can always do that for ourselves, but that's kind of my worry is that we'll just sort of slide in into like how life used to be and then wake up and be like, oh shit, I'm back in this cycle again and not give ourselves like the time to just go through to like reflect on what we've been through. Yeah. I don't sense, like I sense that it's going to be a new world once COVID like ends, like whenever Mm -hmm. that is. My hope is that there's a lot more awareness on what, like transitioning the values of what you've like what people value in their life within their family and their connection and belonging. And I'm hoping that that transfers into the work that people do that have pull, you know, that have pull to make the world a lot better to live in, especially for folks that are in the BIPOC community and the LGBTQ community, you know, folks that are living in lower economic areas of of the world I'm hoping that it really grounds us back into the values that we we need to embody I mean especially for the land and like mother earth like she doesn't need us you know yeah we it's been such we a, need a wake up call mm-hmm. yeah it's been such an interesting thing to see during this pandemic remember in LA for the first time ever in my life I saw LA without smog and I had never seen that before. And they were showing pictures on the news of like the last time LA was this clear was like in the early seventies. And it's just because no one was driving and it cleared so fast. Like the, like earth knows what to do. We just like keep getting in the way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It feels like, Mm -hmm. (sighs) well, I hope you're right. I think I, I trust your intuition. And I think that like it would be silly to think that things will go back to the way that they were because we are, we are changed. Mm-hmm. Like we've changed as as people, and I hope that we've changed for the better. 
And I know enough people have like chosen to live on purpose. And I think that's kind of what your workshop is about on unearthing your story. It's like, who are you? You know, who are your ancestors? Where do you come from? Why did you choose this? And like, what's your purpose here? And I'm so excited for people to witness you and experience you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. The last session that I did was with a, a group that's international from a few different countries. And their takeaways were mostly that they were grateful, but also that they were triggered. <sighs> and I want... Oh, really? And I want... My intent as like one of my purposes here is to guide, guide people to look inwards at themselves. And that also includes triggers because when you're triggered, there's something underneath the surface that needs to be seen. Mm -hmm. And so I love when people get uncomfortable because I know that that's where they need to go in order for them to make change, to be able to live intentionally and Mm -hmm. to really look within their hearts, to be able to speak their truth Mm -hmm. and to fulfill their purpose or purposes here because they know like people, people know and they have all that they need to, to know. It's just a matter of having someone to guide, guide them through the process and feel supported. You're so right that people know and it's triggering. And that's like why we shut off to the wisdom, to the information, to like our knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. It's because it's like, it's confronting. It's mm-hmm. confronting to like witness your own divinity and, and to witness your purpose and also to be like, yo, you're not on purpose right now. <laughs> like you mm-hmm. better change some things if like this is why you came here. Mm-hmm. Like, so don't blow it. It can be a lot, but mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I think that I just you're the best. So this is going to be such a good class. I can't wait. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be so fun. But before class, in the meantime, people can sign up for uh, sign up for Unearthing Your Story on holisticism.com backslash workshops. And Lee, where can people find you in the meantime to learn more about what you do and who you are and how to work with you? My Instagram is Lee May Spence and my website is leemayspence.com. So it's L-E-E-M-A-E-S-P-E-N-C-E. So... Yeah, people can find me there and I look forward to connecting with those that that join the workshop. Yeah, we'll put all of your links in the show notes so people can find you. This isn't the last time you'll be on the podcast, so we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, it's my Witch of the Week and I want to shout out the two founders of the Sabina Project. I know we've maybe talked about them just amongst ourselves, maybe not on the podcast, but I listened to them being interviewed about starting the Sabina Project on spiritual shit with Aaliyah Lovely. Thank you for the heads up on that podcast, Michelle. And she's great. And so it's Charlotte James and Andrea Wright are the co-founders. And I learned so much on... The podcast about how they came to start the Sabina Project, the history of the name. It's really cool. We'll, we'll link the podcast and them so that you can learn more about them. Their mission says we integrate ancestral plant medicine, a wisdom into the modern 
journeyers experience to reduce harm and expand consciousness. We believe that sacred earth medicine is key in liberating all oppressed peoples. We facilitate online and in-person opportunities for learning that support radical self-transformation in the name of collective liberation. And one of the things that they talk about a lot is host using plant medicine is the integration experience. And they're talking more specifically for the BIPOC community and how important the integration experience is and that they were often in white spaces doing this and they wanted to create a space specifically for BIPOC members to go through an integration process where they felt really supported by other people who could witness and understand their experiences where they didn't feel that way in the white spaces where they were doing this. And I I haven't done some of the plant medicines that they talk about, but I've definitely been in those spaces that are mostly filled with white people. And I was just very moved by how they came to create this project, talking about their own experiences. And I would love to have them on the podcast. I would love to learn more about them. I would love for us as a team to try one of their ceremonies. So I'm just in awe of them. I want to learn more about them and want to shout them out to our listeners for people who are curious about learning more about them. Yeah, my mind is blown. Yeah, I think they're amazing. My friend did a session with them actually two weeks ago. Shout out to River. And they were saying that it was just a space where they're talking about psychedelics, but linking it to like ancestors, but in like a Afro way. And to me that, cause you know, I'll be, I'll be getting down with the shrooms or whatever, but I never got down with the shrooms, like thinking about myself as an African or like connecting to my ancestors in that way, or just really thinking about how plant medicine, there's a blueprint for it already set by my ancestors, but we're like in a Western world. So we think that all the things pharmacies and doctors say are true, but this feels empowering. And it also just feels real different. Like this is different. Yeah. I have just been going over the website since you've been talking, honestly, Wallace, because this, this, you've mentioned this a few times and I definitely been telling myself, oh, I need to like look that up and see what that is. It sounds like really interesting and cool and something I've never heard of before and just looking at the website now and and looking reading over their mission and seeing everything they have to offer it's like when i think about all of the things and the ways in which particularly like our communities our societies can help support black people and like black people doing it for black people this for me is such a an incredible tool and a pivotal and necessary tool and I just am very grateful that it exists. I don't really have a lot to say about it other than the fact that I really want to try it. I'm just like reading through all the things they offer. And there's so much. There's so many different things that you could do. I've actually have never heard of some of these psychedelics. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard. They talk in this podcast I was talking about, they talk a lot about Campo. And I'd never heard of it before, um, which sounds very <laughs> intense, but I absolutely want to try it. And it's frog... It's not venom. What's the word? I wanted to say juices, which sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, is it muce, mucin? Yes. Yeah. Excretion sounds like the technical term. <laughs> I like frog juice. Frog juice, you know. Yeah, yeah they put it on you know? your skin. They yeah. burn it. They, they like do little dots on your shoulder. And it's sort of like, I think the actual 
I think it's frog venom and I think it actually burns your skin. And then like that's how the medicine gets delivered. So you'll get little I want to try on everything. Of your arm. Yeah. Oh my I, god. I want to do I that cuz I want to get branded. <laughs> I just love this. Thank you so much for sharing it. And even like the story Thank of you. Sabine where the name comes from. Yeah. They have a very brief like reference so to it on the site, but she was sort of like the mother Ooh. of magic mushrooms and bringing them to the West. And she was effectively like tricked by white people into bringing, like giving them this medicine, this secret medicine. Mm. And she paid for it with her life, basically. It's so sad. Yeah, it was like a reporter from Time magazine who was like, I promise I won't tell anyone. And then Psych went and published her name and everything about the like a sacredness of the ceremony. Well, that just made me yeah, angry. It's really horrible. <laughs> and I think like so many of these medicines, combo and rape and ayahuasca, which isn't on here, but plant medicines that are so sacred have really been like bastardized by Western culture. And I will say, especially wellness culture, like people are out here in Santa Monica and Topanga Canyon doing combo ceremonies, like in their backyard, just like a bunch of white people wearing, you know, I've never done it. So I can't like be too judgmental, but something, something's just really off to me about that. Like that feels so disrespectful to, I don't know if I'm like taking this too seriously, but that seems so disrespectful to like the medicine and to the ancestry and to the people who like actually study and practice this and like have a deep connection to it. And I'm not saying that if you're white, you can't have a deep connection, but like I don't know if you can just like take medicine and facilitate ceremonies yourself. It just doesn't feel right, you know? So I love that they're creating these safe space, not just creating safe spaces, but reclaiming how powerful this medicine is and respecting it and also bringing it to people because there's this fine line of like, well, we don't want this to be, we don't want to like keep it from people, right? We want to share what we learn and we want to share healing, but we just want to do it in a way that feels appropriate and reverent to all the energy behind it. And I feel like they have, they really strike that perfect balance, the Sabine project between reverence and also accessibility, which is really difficult to do. And so kudos to that. When you were like talking, I was just reading through all the things they offer. And I'm just like, my mom, I, I can't even fully wrap my mind around what I'm reading, but I feel like whatever this is, has just been introduced into my life is like vital yeah. and necessary. And yeah. I'm going to utilize it right away. Like, I think I want to do this with my family yeah. and just like set up a ceremony with my family and do this. I was going to say, we should do this for the cusp. I thought you we were going to say oh, yeah. our company retreat. <laughs> We're going to well, come back that. with combo marks. <laughs> <laughs> that and we're going to write about it in the cuss. So. Yes. Yes. No, we but we should. That, this is really cool. And yeah, this, they're sweet. This is so sweet. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. Really good yeah. one. Really good one. Is this stuff illegal? No, they only have on their site what is legal. Ah, on the site. That's why so they don't have like ayahuasca menu. and everything. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Got it. I'm excited. This is I feel like this is somehow going to be really, this is going to change my life or like elevate or expand something. You know, you know, when you have that moment where something like you're given something and you realize this is a moment yep. and this is something that I feel this right now with this information. So That's yeah. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you. I'm excited. Mm, I love that. I have a question for you all. Do you all ever think it's possible to be too awakened? When you say be too awakened, like, like, 
what it, how did that, how does that translate? Do you feel to awaken? Like you're over, wow, maybe you're overstimulated. Is that what you mean? Or by, yeah, when you've been enlightened so much and you're just like, I've done so many plant medicines that have enlightened me. Can I really handle more? Yeah, I do. I feel like that looks like apathy. I feel like that always translates as to like this world is like I recognize and know like to me being too aware is like recognizing really that there's no real connection to this earth, I guess, that like this is all just a game. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like this is pointless. Yeah, it's like existentialism. I always think of like philosophy and people who dedicate their lives to just like intellectualizing existence and being and because I think that's what being a spiritual seeker is it's like just trying to understand what all of this is and how to navigate through it and I think you can get into too intellectual about it or you can be almost like too navel gazy you know where it just becomes like what you're wrapped up in and I think that people Mm -hmm. I mean like from my experience with people who I feel like have done too much plant medicine it's like a very Western version of like, well, the more that I do this, the more awakened I'll be. So like, let me take like heroic doses and of mushrooms so I can have ego death because that's the fastest way to like ascend. And it's like, that's kind of not the point, bro. Like, I don't, I don't know. At least I don't think that's the point. And I think they can kind of lose it in a way. Like they lose touch with reality. I just want to say ego. I just wanted to say ego death. Jumping off of the idea of ego death. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt this, but just the idea of trying to go after ego death, like killing the ego, is is based in ego. I feel like to me, like 100%. the idea of ego death is like not a real thing because you need so your the ego. People who are all who are like, yeah, I'm gonna do all that medicines to like have ego death. I'm like, you realize you're saying that from your ego, yeah, right? Like that's based <laughs> yeah. in ego. Yeah. So, yeah. No, this yeah, is anyway. a good jumping off point. <laughs> we will link the podcast so if anyone listens, you'll hear Charlotte explain this better than I will. But she was referencing a meme where she's like, I feel like this describes when people are like using plant medicine with the wrong intentions. It was this meme of this guy walking out of a cave. And his shadow was like crawling behind him. And the caption said like, oh, well, just got to like do another round or like do another dose of mushrooms. And the shadow was like, but please integrate me. <laughs> I have seen that. And that is correct. Yes. Well, yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you post that somewhere? I'd love to see that. Yeah. We have to find that. Because I feel like that's part of what it is. Like it's like you're using it as I'm going to hack my way to some enlightenment. Yeah. Then again, I don't know. I've never done a heroic dose of mushrooms. I've never done ayahuasca. So like, I don't know. I just feel like people kind of get addicted to doing, to chasing that. Wait, can I just ask how much exactly is a heroic dose of mushrooms? (laughs) That's a good question. It's like, it's, it's like three grams plus is what I think. Because three point five that's like oh sorry oh you're right (laughs) I don't know my fractions yeah yeah so I thought it was like over three grams I definitely took over three grams I just don't know what the fraction is Janelle have you also reached ego death I've I've taken (laughs) I I did not reach ego death I almost reached actual death actually and taking that's a real life story oh no no Yeah, it was my first time ever taking shrooms, and I was with nobody that I knew. What? It was a bad idea, but I I had a lot of and crazy. I learned a lot through that experience, mm-hmm. and my my 
the experience of it went from extreme joy to extreme fear in the matter of like 0.1 second. Yeah. And it taught me something in that. And yeah, I did. I, I thought I was, if I didn't get back around a group of people, I was going to wander off into the middle of a highway. I'm pretty sure. Wow. And I felt myself like going to like having a, a thought to do that because everything started getting really dark. And I was like, Janelle, you need to get around people right now, right now. You need to get around people right now. So yeah, that's a, just a story to people about those psychedelics is like, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I've taken acid. I've taken, since then I've taken shrooms multiple times. I've taken acid multiple times, but like Brag being around it. people that You're you know, so cool. being in good spaces. <laughs> <laughs> I say that just like, I, I'm not afraid of drugs or psychedelics at all. I, I actually really love yeah. them. But the that's why you're my kind of girl. I feel like we all love drugs here. Like, <laughs> we do. We do. We do have that in this is the best team to be on. This is the best team I have to be honest. But be around people, you know. Be around good environments. Definitely. Set and up setting, baby. Way. Set and setting is very important. Just yeah. like sex, to be sure. honest. Yes. Set and setting is important for sex it's too. True. Very true. Let them know. Please tell them. Ah uh, man. Drugs. I smoked a lot of weed in college. I didn't start drugs until college as well, but my mid-20s is when I started the hardcore stuff. And I agree, it, de- it definitely is a different experience doing it a little bit later. But also, I suggest if you can, get your parents involved as well. Ugh. Like, I got my dad yeah. hooked on to psychedelics, and he's in his 40s. Oh, he just turned 50, actually. Mm. But I got when he was in his 40s, he started doing psychedelics and and that's a whole other experience for him. And also, yeah. it, it bonds our family, too. So, you know? Beautiful. Yeah, it, the first time I ever involved. smoked weed. Yeah, the first time I ever smoked weed with someone's family was Janelle's family. <laughs> we that were just like, <laughs> get high that. together. It's true. Yeah. Her mom and her dad. <laughs> and that's her. so cute. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> It's pretty great, actually. It's going to be so weird when we all, if we have kids, like, how are you going to treat drugs with your kids? Ian and I talk about this all the time because we're like, we microdose mushrooms a lot. So like to do work. So, and he likes to smoke weed, like while we're cooking dinner, if I drink a glass of wine, that's like when he'll smoke weed. And like, how are you going to relate to your kids around drugs? Yo, that's so wild because I was just talking to that with someone. It was just like, what is weed like when you have like toddlers around? Are we going to just like act like we don't smoke weed and just like hide it? And I'm just like for it. But then there's like the thought about secondhand smoke. And so I'm just like, what are all of the things? It's so weird. Can I tell you? I actually have also like, this is something that I thought about for a long time. I haven't talked about this with a lot of people because I was felt really weird being in this situation. But when I lived in Ghana, I stayed briefly with uh, a man that I was seeing and he was a a rapper and was around a lot of artists and producers. Okay, wait, what? And this is an African so Okay, wait, 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 what? Is this story about? Because is it is this just no, you flexing about how, no, what I'm a babe sorry. you are? That's like, so I will say this was an incredible. It was an incredible experience that I had with this man. I, I like like truly. Like, we would go walk around the town and people would take pictures of us. Like, we would be in his car. People would be on the bus. Like, he was famous in Ghana. And so, and I, by association, I got to take pictures. But I said it because he was around a lot of artists and they were always smoking weed all the time. He also happened to have a lot of kids. Hmm. And they would be, so, and like babies, like toddlers. So I remember being in a room with them once. It was him and like five other artists and one of the producers. And some of them, one of the moms, it was a really weird thing. Like, one of the baby's mamas came in. 
And I know that I was, it, it was a weird, it was weird. Don't worry about it. Don't ask questions. Okay. So when the baby's mama came in and the baby was there and they were like, the room was filled with smoke. It was filled with weed smoke. And they just kind of continued smoking. It was like, there was no, you know, there was no issue. It was like, it kept happening or it happened all the time. And I don't know. I felt guilty because I was there. I took part in like the weed smoking and the baby was in the room. But like culturally, I guess for them, maybe it didn't matter. It wasn't a thing. So I, I don't know. I that I feel like that experience made me feel a little different about at least how I would engage with the conversation of weed around my child. I don't think I would ever like put my child in a room where like there's smoke happening. Right, but I, I think about like me growing up and like how I was taught that like weed is bad, like you don't do these things. It really just made me more curious about it. And so I definitely don't want to repeat that mm. with like my children. So I think there's definitely an open dialogue that would happen. It's just in terms of how those, the way that they'll see me doing it, that might be a little different. They may not see it yeah. as openly, you yeah. know, but it happens. I think culturally, some people are a little bit more lax about that type of I thing. I feel like I'm going to swing in the opposite yeah, I feel that. My parents were super strict, but I was just like scared. So <laughs> I just didn't do anything because mm. I was like, I just need to survive this house. So I just need to get like go unnoticed. And so I, I won't get in trouble. And then I can just like escape mm. when it's time to escape. So smart, then smart I, decision. Then in my in my 20s, I hit my rebellious slash also slutty streak. Honestly, yes, which was buddy. great. Like, oh, it yes. was so good. I'm so yes. glad that I got to have that experience. But late bloomer. Yeah, I think everybody needs to be a little druggy and a little slutty. <laughs> yeah, a little druggy, little slutty. Message of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, I feel like we are all late bloomers because what is it? Like the whole idea of things happening at it. I've heard so many people say that they're late bloomers. And I'm like, are we all late bloomers? Or is it that? The whole idea of doing something at a certain time is maybe like outdated like or something, you know? That part, that mm-hmm. part. Yo, that, there's a thing about that going around with dating right now. I actually just posted something on my Insta story about how, you know, there's a woman saying that she's 23 and is, had just got her first boyfriend and how common that is. And I've been hearing that a lot lately. I got my first boyfriend when I was 28 years old and I realized that uh, I think when I was 27, I, I saw a therapist and the therapist was like, why do you think it's taking you so long to get in a relationship? And she asked me that as if it was like associated with some sort of trauma Rude. or like there was something wrong. Yeah. With the fact that like it, it had taken me so long and that, I, that caught me up because it just didn't it feel weird. And like talking to a bunch of my friends and peers, it's so common right now. I just think we're in a different paradigm now where, you know, the things that were priorities went before and the things that people did at certain ages and times, it's just not what we're doing it's just not what we're doing no. we're just different we're different the 20s your 20s are about self-actualizing they're about becoming who you are and understanding yourself and honestly you kind of you can't 100% do that if you're always in a relationship like you are going to self-actualize in partnership so with another person and that doesn't mean that you can't self-actualize like don't get mad at me if you got married when you were 25 that's great i love that for you that journey for you is amazing but also like we need time alone to know who we are as a singular entities and like that's what your 20s are all about i would argue that's what your 30s are about too like it's just becoming more of who you are and <sighs> Yeah. I just, yeah. Don't get married until you want to get married. You're not, you're right on time. 
Like, there's no fucking rush, right dude. On time. There's no rush. And yeah. like, you're not old no if you want to have a baby when you're 40. You're not weird if you don't want to have a baby, period. Like, you're not weird if you want to have a baby younger either. But just like, all these cultural stereotypes and norms are just bullshit. It's just heteronormative, patriarchal bullshit that is meant to like keep us down and keep us from being the fullest, most amazing versions of ourselves. And I don't like it. I mean, high key, I feel like, yeah, Michelle, you do that. Because I also feel like it's linked to capitalism yep. somehow. Like the younger you are and the more babies you have, you know what I'm saying? You have more babies to come onto Labor the workforce. Force, yep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Right. So I'm just like, all these ideas, where do they come from? And then we internalize them and perpetuate them when they weren't even ours to begin with. They were stemmed in like something that wasn't meant for us to thrive, but for somebody else to like thrive and us to survive. Wow. That looks like that again. We didn't even need to do combo to have this realization. (laughs) I'm just saying. No, but that was great. (laughs) And I highly... Are we still on the podcast? I mean, I'm trying to wrap it up for like three minutes, but... I think think we said goodbye three times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. We'll see you all next week. Bye. And that's our episode. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Lee. She's just so funny and cool and we belly laughed through this and I just really love her. She's so special and I hope that you're able to join us for Unearthing Your Story. It's going to be a really special workshop. It's actually the first sliding scale workshop that we're doing in 2020. We've done a bunch of free workshops but this is our first sliding scale option so we're getting back into the flow of virtual workshops now that it's Q2. So there's a couple more exciting things to look forward to but I hope to see you there. If you can't join us live, a replay will be sent to everyone who signs up. So make sure you sign up. And if you don't sign up for the event, you won't be able to get the replay. We don't repurpose these. You won't be able to find it again. So if you can't join live, but you know that you want to witness this, then make sure you just grab your ticket. I would hate for you to miss out. All right. I think that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and being a member of our community you know, this thing grows because of you and we are so, so, so grateful. So if you share it with a friend or you post about it on Instagram or you, you know, rate, review and subscribe, all of that really helps us get found by other people. The more people that we have listening, the higher we get on the iTunes charts, the more, you know, distribution we get, obviously, the more people that we can provide access to. And also we have the opportunity to work with sponsors who can help you guys out, but also who can help us provide even more valuable free content to you because they help us make this podcast. So we're just really grateful that you listen to it. <laughs> you keep coming back. Thank you. You're the best. And we'll talk soon. See you on the internet. Bye.